0: Welcome to Dynamic Healing, with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal, just breathe, and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain.
2: Welcome to Dynamic Healing. I'm Les Aria.
1: And I'm David Hanscom, and we are talking about a topic that is pretty intense for lots of different reasons, Um, It's basically called the pain of social isolation. And we do know the holidays, it's a big problem in chronic pain. It's a big problem in general, but particularly in chronic pain. The holidays tend to magnify this whole issue. But our purpose is that the data shows very clearly that loneliness has profound effects on your mental and physical health.
2: Yeah. And and David, how about we start with a quote? Um, And let's do a Francis Peabody quote, right, from 1927. It goes something like this: Everybody, sick or well, is affected in one way or another, consciously or subconsciously, by the material and spiritual forces that bear on his life. And especially to the sick, such forces may act as powerful stimulants or depressants. Francis Peabody, nineteen
1: twenty-seven. And we're our whole theme for a while here is going to be Francis Peabody's quote, nineteen twenty-seven. And his whole thing about medical care is about the patient-doctor relationship. And what well, Les has taught me, and actually I do listen to you, Les, occasionally, that this is not a psychological issue. This is physiological. In other words, there's lots of data now that shows that your circumstances and environment creates physiological changes in your body and people that are lonely get sick. So there's mm-hmm. lots of other things that create chemical changes in your body, but it doesn't just happen your body responds to people actually get sick. Yeah. So one of the objectives today is that we know that social pain and physical pain have been shown to share similar circuits in the brain. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and because they play off each other, right, David, um, people. Um, another objective that we want to really emphasize here is people in pain are most sensitive to social rejection and then social rejection makes the pain worse. Right. And. We'll talk about
1: this a little bit on the show later. But I went through this badly chronic pain experience. Where the holidays were a nightmare. So social isolation, social isolation occurs in about 50 percent of Americans. Fifty percent. We'll talk about this in more detail. But the holidays just make this much
2: worse. Yeah. And so we can say and maybe another objective here um, is to anticipate this problem because it's, it's here already. And so it's, this is December. And which is not easy um, to solve, right? So we need to kind of figure out as one one of the objectives in this um, recording here is first to kind of get more proactive and reaching out to others and being with people to just do this shift within us. So the pain, both emotional and physical, is dampened. And we have a, a great talk with you today. So let's just get going on this, David.
1: Well, let's just talk about the problem a little bit. And the basis of... Our talk today is a Cygnus study, Cygnus, an insurance company. They looked at 20,000 people, surveyed so 20,000 people, and they looked at the effect of loneliness on people's health. And what they found out is that they use a loneliness index, and they found out that if you consider yourself lonely, mm-hmm. the same effect on your health is, is about smoking about 15 cigarettes a day so the diseases it's simply heart disease cancers suicide depression anxiety all those occur from being socially isolated and then what they found out which i thought was profound i read the paper again this morning is that the highest loneliness is guess which age group is the most lonely? you think somebody in their 50s 60s right yeah we would think so yeah so the loneliest group were the um people between 18 to 35
2: Wow, eighteen to thirty-five—the youngins,
1: the, the youngins.
2: snappers, the ones with all the right. energy.
1: Right. right. Come right. on, David. it. So, and you would think with all the social media and all the stuff that they do and all the things they get to do. I mean, this this generation does ten times more things and more opportunities than I ever had when I, when I was at eight. They travel Europe. They fly around the world. Have right. all sorts of different types of cars. I mean, have lots of things to do. Mm-hmm. but they're socially isolated and it's consistent. doesn't matter which part of the country you're in, which city you're in, that generation is considered, they're lonely, they're not talking to people. And they ask questions like, you know, who understands you, who listens to you, who do you feel close to? And a lot of people have no connections at all, which is really, really sad. So yeah. why do you think this generation is so affected?
2: Well, I think it's great. It's it's so in, intriguing. Uh, I'm reflecting on my kids who are now, um, you know, 18 and 20. Um, you know, when they were growing up, one of the things that this group and who are now in their, you know, like I said, between the 18s and 30s here is this group really had a lot of social media. And what I do want to know is when we were kids, at least David, we were out playing stickball or just out roaming the, you know, the neighborhood. Or if you were me, I was reading, um other family members. Um um, friends' pantry cupboards and eating everyone out. And so and we loved visiting friends because we always did things like that. And we played and we communicated. With the, we we uh, maybe talked on the phone for a little bit, but for the most part, we hung out at each each other's house. What I've realized is this is with the social media and the beautifulness of technology, it has actually been a curse at some level from a social aspect and emotional aspect. It has tempted our ability to be creative uh, in one sense, And it's also stolen the ability to socially connect.
1: Well, we do know that the human brain develops by interacting with other humans. So you take babies who are deprived and they don't develop the same. In other words, and we know the brain is sort of a neutral structure in a way. In other words, we know, for instance, if you blindfold somebody and take the vision center out of commission, the auditory or hearing center goes right into action. So the brain is very generic. So the way the brain develops and continues to develop is actually interacting with other humans. That's why we have human consciousness. We also know a huge factor in the brain developing is play, physical yeah. play with other people. So in real person, I see your body language. I hear your tone of voice. We do things together physically and non-physically. You just play is a big deal, but it has to be in-person play. And we do know the two-dimensional social media actually doesn't make up for that three-dimensional thing that we call play and negotiating and interactions and problem solving together, creativity together. So sharing pleasant experiences is a huge way of developing a healthy mind.
2: Yeah. D- David, let me, as you were speaking, you know, one of the things is I'm recalling um several groups of my patients this past month, especially from November and now we're in December, is is this is I have, I have another group of folks, David, and I know it may not be reflected in that study, but in, from my clinical work, I'm finding out is there are many of my patients, we, we joked around for those of us in our 50s and on, uh, it doesn't have to be any particular age, but whether it's your 40s, 50s, 60s and onward, and even to your 70s and 80s, when you could be with someone, you could be with a, um, your spouse, your partner, and still feel lonely. One of the other groups of people who tend to feel this social rejection effect of feeling this intense uh, lull inside of them is when they are sitting with a person and there's no conversation, there's no play, there's no laughter, there's no dancing. And when you're not, when you're hanging out with your best friend, your partner, so to speak, and you're not connecting, that can produce a lot of loneliness. And a lot of my patients it's true. in their 60s, um, especially the, the ones who are in the 60s and 70s, um, and if you just basically anyone who has been struggling with chronic pain, and they don't have a very healthy love relationship, whether it may that be with with their children or with their spouses or partners. There's this bigger intensity, just like uh, the 18 year olds and 20 year olds and 30 year olds. There's a greater sensitivity to depression, uh, fear. There's lots of, um, and, I, and I say this, I come from a place of uh, love and understanding. So when I say they use the word victim, I'm not saying that they're victims. I'm saying We unknowingly place ourselves in that victimhood of there's nothing I can do. And then there's a syndrome which they come up with. that's called yes, but the YB syndrome. Yes, but you don't understand. Yes, but. Right. And so. Well, that brings
1: up a huge factor in chronic pain in general is that um, your circuits start firing away in the pain circuits and the pleasure circuits sort of atrophy, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so I, <laughs> I did this. I mean, again, I'll just emphasize the reason why we're talking about this today is the holidays just make this worse because everybody's happy and having fun and you're supposed to be having fun. And what happens, I found out, is that you start thinking, I don't have the social skills. Uh, people are going to reject me. This fear of rejection. You don't feel comfortable reaching out. And right. the other thing is, you, you, we're going to go into solutions here just for a second. We'll come back to it in a second. But you made a comment. The first thing you have to do is be kind to yourself. The problem is when you're angry, it cuts you off from yourself. It cuts you off from other people. The problem is with chronic pain, it actually is legitimate victimhood. I mean, you hurt, you're miserable. And they have noted, there's two research papers that show that the impact of chronic pain on the quality of your life is similar to having terminal cancer. So you don't feel like reaching out. Those social skill circuits actually do atrophy a bit. And I do. And then when you're in chronic pain, it's hard to laugh. Right. Yeah, and that and so laughing is a great way to connect. It changes your body's chemistry, and that's why, as we jump into the solutions here in a second, is that this is not is <clears throat> a solvable problem. But it's not going to solve tomorrow, but I, our goal today is to become aware of the problem. It just provides a framework for solutions, and maybe use these holidays as an opportunity to start that journey out of the hole. But you're in this dark hole; it sort of implodes on itself.
2: Yeah. And absolutely David. Um, you know uh, if what what is just speaking this imploding absolutely let's let's talk to these folks about Eisenberg's paper on social rejection before we get to to the um, solutions here Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too
0: seriously and six one since that matters and
1: There's a 2006 paper by Dr. Naomi Eisenberg on UCLA, and there's, not, there's been a there's been lot of research on this, but the bottom line is they found out that the social rejection, social pain circuits and the physical pain circuits have overlap. In other words, it's been shown that when you're in physical pain, that you're more sensitive to social rejection, just like we talked about. And then you, when you're socially rejected, it actually makes the pain worse. And again, not psychological, this 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 is just an overlap of neurological circuitry, yeah. so they play off each other. Um, Laura Mosey did a brilliant paper years ago. We had people looking at a red light versus blue light. Right. you put a right. temperature probe on the forearm. So if you're looking at a red light, why your pain tolerance goes down dramatically, and we're looking at a blue light, what your pain tolerance goes up. In other words, all sensory input counts. Yeah. So right, because red, red says danger, then the thermal probe says danger, then blue says comfort, then again it takes more physical pain to hurt. So all these circuits interact with each other. And we see something like you hurt my feelings, which Dr. Arya does to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I become a I'm so much a better human being, Dr. Arya, from our podcast. It's unbelievable. So I'm, tra- I'm training you, David. Right. Bring bring it on. Come on. You're you're not you're not in your top form today, by the way. So you, I think you need practice. I have plenty of practice catching the ball. <laughs> got you. Got What's you. wrong with your throwing arm? Anyway, so it just honestly, um, just not taking life so seriously. Be with your friends, but when you're in chronic pain, I trust me. I understand how you feel. You feel very isolated. The social skills you may have had 10 years ago really probably have atrophy. So, our goal today is becoming aware of the problem and just to some just to some suggest some solutions for what you might do to start pulling out of this hole. Yeah. But, um, Les, any thoughts that you might have on the Eisenberg? Eisenberg yeah, theory? absolutely.
2: Um, I think we just want to really emphasize the um, underlying issues of the neural systems that really underlie the pain and emotional distress that is so strongly overlapping. So what does that mean? It really means going back to summarizing what David just said. Listen, folks, when you have chronic pain, everything that we do think and feel tend to be um, magnified. And when you add a piece of uh, social isolation or loneliness during the holidays, it really can sensitize things. This is how the nervous system works, the brain and the body. And what I do wanna emphasize is this, is very often uh, people don't seem to realize it's their thinking about the problem that's the problem, not the problem. Let me repeat. I
1: say, is this a double lessism in one sentence? It is.
2: It's a double lessism. Can you, you, you try that one more time <laughs> for me? Here. So listen up here on this. So think really, really, and, and uh, I'm going to slow down here. Sometimes we look at the problem as the problem, but it's not. The loneliness. Is, it, is that play a role? Yes. Let's just say it plays 50%, but maybe we can say another 50% is actually our thinking about the problem that's the problem. When you are sitting there lonely, if you, I've done this, so I will throw myself in this, is sometimes when you're feeling a sense of loneliness or when you're feeling like things are moving past you, when we sometimes don't seem to realize we are in what we call a daydream type uh, sort of cognition, when we're sort of mental time traveling. In brain science, that's called the default mode network, the default mode network. And what does that got to do with loneliness and uh, physical pain and emotional pain? Well, check this out. Science shows us that when we are spending time mental traveling, traveling the past, future, judging ourselves and others, what happens is we tend to personalize things real easily. And we've talked about this in a different podcast where there's a part of the brain in the, uh, in the back called the posterior cingulate cortex, PCC. When we are daydreaming and mental time traveling and we're complaining, that's another way of looking at it. When you're sort of drunk in your complaints or drunk in your depression, we tend to personalize everything else. Why? Because that brain part, the PCC, posterior cingulate cortex, talks directly to the amygdala and the hippocampus where emotions are stored and encoded and memories are stored and encoded moving this forward is, it's the way you think about this problem. So now let's kind of get into the solution, David. One of my, as you mentioned already, one of my biggest things, solution to myself and to others, whenever you're feeling lonely, this is, this is gonna sound hokey, but it's not. It really has worked well for my patients, myself and many people. Be the person you wish to meet, be the person you wish to hang out with. Let me repeat that again. If you can be the kindest to yourself, if you want someone to be warm, loving, gentle, funny, then be that warm, loving, funny, and gentle person back to yourself. And this is where that thinking, how do you relate to yourself? When you're feeling the sense of lull and the sense of sadness, memories flood you, it's okay to feel it. But the one of the biggest solutions I'm gonna tell you, it's not the easiest solution because it takes practice as David and I like to say, is please make sure you use kindness and be the person you wish to be besides connecting with others um, that you find safe and fun.
1: Well, let's take something that you've said in the past is that, um, okay, so you're at a holiday dinner, you're being kind to yourself, you're feeling really good about yourself. Then inevitably, as you know, family members trigger each other. Right. Trigger <laughs> means you're anxious or frustrated, something from the past came up, you're pissed off, mm-hmm. holiday parties go to hell in a basket. So what you said is, who is a person you want to be in difficult moments? In other words, if you're triggered, they're triggered. It does go both ways. So okay, now you're triggered. So again, who do you want to be to yourself? But then, who do you want to be to this other person? The problem is when you're triggered, it's all about you, right? Yep. yep. Right. So so can you can you um, talk about that for a second? I think it's a great way. It actually, it's helped me personally a lot because when I get angry, when I'm angry. I'm now visualizing, well, what do I look like to the world when I'm angry and it's not that pretty. It's, so who do I want to be when I'm triggered? Who do, right. How do I want to show up in difficult moments?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And as David and I will talk about that, <clears throat> make sure we wake up in the morning. You set your coordinates. So what does that mean? It's exactly what David is saying. When I wake up in the morning, the first thing I ask myself is how do I wish to show up in this world? And so because, let's just say, I wish to be kind to myself today, or gentle, or compassionate, or understanding, or forgiving, identify one to three values. A value is a mental quality of action. That's what David is talking about. To put it in simple phrases, a value can be such as this. How do I wish to be towards myself and the other person during a difficult situation? How do I wish to be towards myself and the other person? during a difficult situation. That's value being enacted. Another way of doing this is, you know, who or what's important to me during a difficult moment. You know, David, David talks about, you know, when you're angry and you don't look real pretty, there's a, there's a time and place for anger and sadness and anxiety. But what we're trying to talk to you about is basically is you have this control over your behavior. You may not have control over your thoughts and emotions and sensations, but you have a choice in how you relate to those difficult moments. Right.
1: Again, remember, you have no choice about the trigger. Right. The trigger is a powerful explosion that takes off anger or anxiety or triggers that the unconscious brain, and they're powerful. You can't control these things, but you can choose how to react to it. And so you've heard me say it over and over again, no action in the reaction. So if you're triggered, maybe leave the room, take a deep breath, go to a corner, and just sort of um, let it calm down. But I also want to talk about one quick thing, which is relationship to this, is that, okay, so you're in chronic pain, you've been isolated. I developed some very interesting thought patterns about really nobody wants who wants to hang out with me, et cetera. So I think it's important actually to acknowledge this fear of rejection. And when you're rejected, you can get angry or start feeling bad about yourself or go in the victim role. And guess what? You are. You just got rejected. Okay. But remember, the other person may be suffering also. You don't know what's going on in that person's head. So I think actually understanding anger is a problem, and then when you are rejected, you will get triggered, and understand that. Do it. I like what you just said about what you say in the morning. Set your
2: compass. Yeah. So set your 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 GPS, your values. So when you wake up in the morning, set your values like a GPS. Where do I wish to go today? How do I wish to show up?
1: So I would suggest you know visualize being rejected. Okay. Okay. I'm now rejected. That's a difficult moment. How am I going to react? So acknowledge your fear of rejection and then reach out anyway. You know, old friends, family, you can volunteer just to be with people, Um, go to places where people are, holiday events, et cetera, and just get out with people no matter what. Even if you're not close to them, just being with people helps. And again, there's 53% of Americans are socially isolated. So there's a high chance that the people you're reaching out to are also socially isolated. So make a phone call. Just even a phone call is better than social media.
2: Yeah, David, I'd like to add something to that. I think it's very well said. So we're not saying this is easy. We're saying is be kind to yourself, use values. We're also saying is acknowledge the difficulty, um, that uncomfortableness, and then challenge yourself with that uncomfortableness. As David talks about, you know, when you feel like "Eh, no one's going to invite me or it's going to be uncomfortable, Um, challenge yourself to that because the other alternative is to continue to suffer. So what, what I wanted to add to this is one of the things that's worked very well with my um, clinical practice is when I have many of the 40, 50, 60 year olds plus, and even the 70 and 80 year olds um, who have you know, this pain and this isolation during these holidays, people have passed away, the, their social circle has decreased. Hey, guess what? Fine, <clears throat> all you need is just a handful of people, whether it's one or two, connect with them through video. Now, when you can see people smile and laugh, I think that's great. But, you know, you could even just do video, whether it's Zoom or any other form of video conferencing, is find a way to connect with people and look at people in their eyes. You know, you can even play, um, you know, like I said, play games on videos. You can, you know, watch movies together. And it's really neat to be able to have a movie on while you both watch it at the same time.
1: Yeah, that's
2: if never, Right. If you've never done that, it's kind of fun. Right. And also, like I said, do check out online the different games you can play um, while you're on, um, you know, different apps you can use that will help you connect. What we're trying to really emphasize as we sort of close this out is we want you this holiday season to challenge yourself a little bit differently. If you want to feel differently, then do differently.
1: I'm sorry, say that again? (laughs) I mean, I am going to get a David-ism in in here someday. (laughs) So if you want to feel differently, then do differently. Do differently. So I get to practice social rejection this week. I drove all the way to Sacramento this week to see Dr. Arya. <laughs> I was there. He oh, said, no, David. I'm, too, said <laughs> I'm too tired. I don't want to see you. And so I get to deal with <laughs> I'm practicing healthy boundaries. <laughs> so so th- thank you for uh, helping me practice my rejection skills, Dr. Arya. I really, really appreciate that. Actually, we were both tired. So it was a mutual... Yeah. Rejection there. <laughs> anyway, so I want to summarize that basically, um, social connection is actually a significant part of the healing journey. And so it's a catch-22 is that you learn to heal, you can reach out. As you reach out, it actually helps your healing. So I didn't understand this for years. But a Dr. Dan's Art of Texas wrote a very profound research paper. It was a review. And remember, I want to review dynamic healing for a second: is when your stresses overwhelm your coping skills, you go into fight or flight. And the essence of disease is being a sustained fight or flight, which tears on your body. The mm-hmm. essence of healing is go to safety where you can regenerate and heal. Yep. So what he found out is that um, social connection is actually anti-inflammatory. We know from Dr. Carter that oxytocin is generated, which is also powerfully anti-inflammatory. So that social connection is actually a powerfully anti-inflammatory force. And by negating that allows your body to heal. So in summary, the social connection is a huge part it, you know mental pain and physical pain share the same circuits and so understand that and understand that connecting with other people is actually reverses those circuits but also it's anti-inflammatory and allows you to heal so dr r gave us some nice tools today about you know be nice to yourself how do you to show up in difficult moments understand the role of anger blocks your connection to yourself and everybody else around you we're not saying this is a simply solvable problem. In fact, I think it's one of the more challenging problems to solve, but it's solvable. Mm-hmm. Don't try to solve it all at once. Just take little steps to start connecting, 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 and I think you will have a better holiday. So Dr. Arya, thank you for your wisdom. Thanks, David. And folks, and, thank
2: you and be kind to yourself. We want to tell people that.
1: <laughs> and, when, and when do I get rejected by you next? <laughs> oh, boy. So <laughs> <laughs> we're supposed to meet in a couple of weeks. Are you going to show up at this restaurant or not? Yes, sir. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll see you all soon. And have a happy holidays. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Hello. I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.